Now the Bengals Super Bowl chances rest on his right foot. The kick is up. It is good. Coffin nails. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. get to tonight i want to very briefly mention baseball before we start because i love baseball love my brewers i love baseball season talking about baseball yeah it might not be the high-flying fast-paced action of the nfl or the nba but there's just something so i don't know i i love it this mlb lockout they, they can do their thing they can fight over this in january and february but don't mess with my spring training now here don't mess with my regular season it was reported today, Evan Drellick and I believe Jeff Passan had it first. Jeff Passan, excuse me. He said MLB has asked for federal mediation and bargaining talks would have to be agreed, agreed to by Players Association. It's a voluntary process. So they, they, they can't even they can't even sit down and talk without getting help. I, I swear, if baseball doesn't figure this out for at least a little bit of spring training, I'm going to be pissed. Because Brewers going to spring training is the one way I can swing a couple extra quote-unquote vacation days to go to Arizona to quote-unquote cover the Brewers and do my show remotely. Bill's at the Super Bowl, for God's sake. I can do the show out of my grandma's house. She lives down there. Baseball's going to be the reason I don't get, get to see my grandma this spring. So thank you, Rob Manfred. Not only are you ruining America's pastime, but you're preventing me from seeing my grandma. Thinking about Arizona a lot. I want to go. I want to go. And if there are no spring training games, then I can't sell this to my boss as a quote-unquote work trip. So we get this figured out sooner rather than later. That would make me very happy. Thank you, baseball. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. I think that's all we're going to say about baseball tonight. It's a story that we're kind of following in the background, right? I think spring training means a lot more to people who live where we live, right? Wisconsin, Minnesota, the Northwest. Minnesota! It's a great to quote Joe Biden, people who live up here, we turn to spring training as this escape. Even if we don't go, it's still nice to watch or to listen on the radio um, and get to experience a little bit of escapism. It's basically the Jimmy Buffett of the sports world. Spring training is Jimmy Buffett, um, but in sports form. Uh, and that's why we love it, especially where we live where it's cold. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get a little spring training. Baseball, please figure it out. But that's something we'll follow and, and maybe talk about in the background. Tonight, obviously, a lot of Packers. Aaron Rodgers is the story. Jim Harbaugh, not the Vikings coach like maybe we thought. Kevin O'Connor or Kevin O'Connell, excuse me. Same thing, whatever. He's their guy. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in the second half of the show. And I want to build on a conversation that I wanted to get to yesterday. We ran out of time talking about the psychology of star quarterbacks and getting back to the Super Bowl. Why is it such a, such a hurdle? It's a huge hurdle. Um, and I'm trying to figure out why. So we're going to talk more about that in the second half of the show. Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast, going to be here at 4.30. But before we get to that, also Badgers basketball, we're going to squeak them in because they lost to Illinois last night. But before we do all that, it's Thursday. Got my cup of coffee, my warm cup. I microwaved it because last week I took a sip of cold coffee. I almost threw up on air. Not good. Not great. Mm. Yeah, that's stuff. Let's Let's hang out in the NBA lounge for a couple minutes. January. Let's talk about January, okay? It's a tough month for the NBA. Not just because the NFL is popping, and it has been. The last two rounds of the playoffs, 
amazing. The wild card round, that, that, it blew. Um, but the last two weeks have been popping. So it's, it's tough. We're focused on football. We're focused on now this Brian Flores story. We're not exactly dialed into basketball. And I don't blame you for that. After all the season starts in October, November, we got our Christmas games in January, or excuse me, in December. And then the All-Star break is in February. And January is this awkward middle month. It's the dog days of the NBA season, right? LeBron has been historically a great thermometer for this. Because around January 20th, every year when he was in Cleveland, the Cavs would go, I don't know, seven and six over a three-week stretch. And, and you turn on first take, is LeBron on the decline? Are the Cavs, you know, do they have issues? It's like, well, no, it's January. No one's trying right now because everyone's bored, right? We're past the excitement of Christmas. We haven't even gotten to the All-Star break yet, which is coming up in February. LeBron's teams have always been on top, right? Miami, Cleveland, they're always the number one or the number two seed. So we always talked about them, and you could always see that January and the struggles that teams would go through, especially good teams, was always reflected in LeBron's teams. So because we just finished January, which is traditionally a slog for contending teams, I thought, hey, let's look at the contenders today. For today's NBA lounge, let's settle in, drink our coffee, listen to our music, and talk about three really serious contenders. The Suns the Nets, and the Bucks. So if you came here for Kings talk today, you want to talk about Jeremy Grant, the Pistons, Cade Cunningham, sorry. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe next week. Although we are going to get one Kings mention because Brooklyn just played them last night. So we're going to bring up the Kings, but no Kings talk today, sorry. Mm. I didn't mess around with the coffee that I brought to work today. Last 10 games, Bucks are 6-4, and four, Nets are 3-7, and seven. But the Phoenix Suns, the other contender that I placed in the top three or four, certainly in the West, we're excluding the Warriors today. We don't have that much time. Phoenix has won 11 in a row. They didn't slow down in January. They haven't been slogging. The Nets have lost six in a row. The Bucks were, what was their record in January? I have it written down here somewhere. They went seven and eight in January. So they're scuffling a little bit. Nets are scuffling, not Phoenix. I'm not sure we talk about the Suns enough. Maybe you do. I don't. I sure don't with my friends. Maybe it's because they came up short in the finals against the Bucs. Well, what if Phoenix had won the NBA finals last summer? They looked so amazing in those first two games to the point where we were just kind of left with our hands up in the air saying, eh, what are you, you going to do? Phoenix is just too good. Chris Paul is too good. Devin Booker's too good. It's just, it's Phoenix's year. And then the Bucs got hot. Giannis did Giannis things. And you know, the Bucs ended up winning. So we kind of forgot how good Phoenix is. I think if the Suns would have won the finals and defeated the Bucks, we'd be saying things like, well, I don't know how Phoenix isn't the favorite to, to run it back and win it all again. This team is, Woo! right? But because they came up short last year and Phoenix has had good teams over the years, but not a traditional power over the last decade, we kind of forget about them a little bit. I watched Nets at Suns on Tuesday. It was the late game on TNT. Such a joy to watch this team. Oh, my God. Every part of the Suns. So the superstars, yes. Devin Booker has gotten even better this year. And it's the three-point shooting. that's always been the one piece of his game. Get a little bit better at. Great off the dribble. Great in the mid-range. Great at getting really tough buckets. But the three-point shooting hasn't always been there. He's always shot from 32 to 35%, somewhere in there. This year, he's at 38. He's getting better. And Chris Paul alongside him. Chris Paul had 20 points and 14 assists against the Nets the other night. He had two steals, too. Chris Paul maximizes everyone on the roster. When you watch Phoenix, you can't help but think, man, Mikhail Bridges looks really good. 
man, DeAndre Ayton looks great. Man, Cam Johnson looks, looks like a great player. You want to know why? Because Chris Paul makes everyone look good. Putting them in positions to be successful in plays, in the huddle, right? As a leader, as a passer, as a point guard, but also just emotionally. This team easily could have slogged through the first couple of months of the season and had a championship hangover after losing in the championship round. Mm-mm. They haven't, and I think Chris Paul's a big reason why. One last thing for perspective before we move on and talk about the Nets and the Bucks. The Suns started the season one and three. They're 40 and six since then. That's it. That's all I wanted to say about the Suns. Carry on. Hmm. That's good coffee. What about the Nets? They're another contending team. Contending teams, a lot of times they slog in the month of January. Doesn't help the Nets case that Kevin Durant has been hurt. They're two and seven since he went down. But why is that? They're not two and seven bad. They've lost six in a row. They're not that bad. I mean, Kyrie is playing half of their games. That helps. Harden is Harden is there. He's healthy. He's playing. They maybe shouldn't be world beaters like Phoenix, but they should be better than this. I'd watched the Nets a few times over this last week. I watched them on Tuesday, and they'd had some tough losses to some West Coast teams, Denver, Golden State, Phoenix on Tuesday. Then last night, I'm watching the Badger game, and we'll talk about them in a few minutes. I see Brooklyn is trending. I'm like, what did the Nets do? And I saw they had a bad loss. I was like, oh, okay, to who? To to the Kings? To Sacramento? Harden had like four points. <laughs> he, had, he had one of the worst games that I've seen in a long time. I think one of his worst scoring games since he's been in Oklahoma City. Harden's games aren't always pretty, but the numbers are always there. Even if he has to shoot 30 shots, he's going to get his. He didn't get his last night. Kyrie didn't look good, and the Kings... The Sacramento Kings upsetting the Nets, handing them their sixth straight loss. Wow. The postgame quotes are unbelievable, too. Harden's talking about free throws. Oh, if you just touch a guy now, it's two free throws. Hey, James, um, <laughs> I want, I wonder who, wonder, wonder how that became a thing. Getting to the free throw line. You, you had nothing to do with that, James? James Harden manipulating refs? No. There's also this quote from Kyrie about how other teams are playing the Nets and how they're attacking the Nets and Kyrie and Kevin Durant's hurt, but James Harden and the rest of this roster. I'm going to play it for you. I think it's interesting. You know, facing that reality, that game to game, um, and, and I said this, and I'm going to keep saying this, that no team is going to take a light on us. They're going to continue to run um, what I call uh, playoff adjustment basketball. You know, they're, they're in boxes and elbows. They, they really want to stop me and James from penetrating into the lane. They really want to um, make other guys make plays, and we just got to figure out ways to consistently do that uh do great things on the offensive end and defensive end as a group and when we do that we'll be fine so that's Kyrie talking about how teams come at them with playoff intensity like they're trying so hard to stop me and James Harden it's like we're in the playoffs they're trying so hard and I I think there's an ounce of truth to this when the Brooklyn Nets come to play you you're gonna give them your best shot they're a super team big city team a lot of those games are probably going to be nationally televised if you're playing Kevin Durant or Harden or Kyrie I'm going to try a little harder, right? This isn't the Pistons. This is this is a legit game. We want to show up and play really well and try hard against Brooklyn. So I do think that Kyrie's onto something, but when he says playoff style adjustments, man, you lost to the Kings. Kings haven't been in the playoffs for 20 years. <laughs> if there's one team that doesn't know anything about how to play in the playoffs, it's the team that just smoked you last night, handing you your sixth straight loss playoff style adjustments. They wouldn't know anything about the playoffs. They're the Kings. It's like saying, ah, uh, it's, 
it's like saying you lose to the Bears. And, and in your presser, you say, man, they just they have great quarterback play. I didn't know how we were supposed to win today. It's like, what? No, they don't. Like, maybe they beat you with defense, special teams, maybe a strong running game. But to walk away from a tough loss to the Bears and say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They just they quarterbacked us to death. No, they did not. <laughs> they haven't for years. They're not about to start now. Sacramento's terrible. And for Kyrie to say, yeah, they, they played us like it's a playoff game. Well, they wouldn't know. It's been 20 years since the Kings have been in the playoffs. You know how hard it is to go 20 years in the NBA without making the playoffs? Half of the league gets in. There's eight seeds in both conferences. There's even a play-in now. Playoff style. So that's Brooklyn. I don't know what their deal is. I think I have the standings open in front of me here. Hold on. I got scores. Do I have NBA standings? All right. We'll revisit that at the end of the segment. I want to talk about the Bucs before we take a break. Talk about the Badgers for a few minutes, and then Andy Herman's coming up at 430. I'm going to assign some homework to you with the Bucks, and I'm, I'm going to do it too. So that's coming up at the very end, but first a little context with what we're talking about. The Bucks went 7-8 and eight in the month of January. The teams they beat were the Pelicans, the Kings, and the Knicks. So there's some bad teams that they beat up on, but they also beat the Nets, the Warriors, in an amazing... I mean, they stomped the Warriors. They beat the Grizzlies. They beat the Bulls. So it's not like over the month of January, the Bucks got roundhoused by a bunch of championship contending teams, although they did get taken behind the woodshed by Cleveland and Denver. But they beat the Warriors, beat the Nets, beat the Grizzlies, beat the Bulls. Those are solid teams. Those are championship contending teams, or at least most of those teams are. I don't know about the Grizzlies. We'll see with the Bulls. But the Warriors and Nets, certainly. Bucks showed up for the games in January that they wanted to show up for, and then they mailed it in in others. January is typically a slog, especially for championship teams. We saw that with the Bucks. Now, the Bucks aren't exactly world beaters right now. They're 32 and 21. They're hanging out middle of the pack in the East. They'll be fine. But I don't want Bucks fans to get the impression that their record is lagging and their seed is lagging because their schedule has been really hard. That's not the case. Most models and most sites that you look at have the Bucks as the easiest strength of schedule up until this point. Bucks have had a lot of winnable games, a lot of easy games. They've lost some. They've, they've won a good amount, but I, I think the Bucks have underperformed relative to their strength of schedule so far. Now, moving forward, the Bucks have the hardest remaining strength of schedule in the league. Up there, right above the Lakers, the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Bulls. They have two games against the Suns, a game with the Warriors, the Grizzlies, three against the Bulls, one against the Heat, and two against the 76ers. They got a lot of teams on the horizon that are really good. The second half of their schedule is going to be more challenging than their first. Now, I also think the Bucks will ramp up their level of intensity, their level of competition as the playoffs get closer and as we get, you know, around the All-Star break. That's just how contending teams are wired. But if you think the Bucks have underachieved and underperformed and they should be better record-wise, they should be better seating-wise, don't say it's because they've got a hard schedule. That's not the case. They have the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. Here's our homework moving forward, and this is what I will leave you with before we move on and talk about the Badgers. In the next week, the Bucks go to Portland, go to the Clippers, go to the Lakers, go to the Suns, and then they host Portland, Indiana, and Philly, which will be intriguing. Let's see how they match up with the Sixers. And then a week from Saturday, they host Brooklyn, primetime on a Saturday night. So in the next calendar week alone, there's a solid handful of games all of which will combine to be a really good test. By next week, by certainly a week from Monday, we'll know, okay, we just saw a great sample size of Bucks games. 
on the West Coast or against really good teams, and we can reevaluate. But I think January, as we've traditionally seen with contending teams, especially LeBron's teams over the years, it's a slog. I wouldn't worry too much about January. But the next week, week and a half, let's pay attention. Let's see what this team's made of. Let's take a break. I want to talk about the Badgers. They lost to Illinois. I don't think it's a big deal. I'm surprised that some of you are so angry. And we can talk about that coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant bills thanks for hanging out 15 minutes in the nba lounge it's nice to just take inventory with the bucks we don't need to talk about them every day that's why i like this segment that we've kind of established we got it scheduled we got this routine where once a week we just check in with the bucks talk about a couple other happenings in the nba and then we move about the show andy herman's gonna join us to talk aaron Rodgers, packers here in about 10 minutes i do before we get there want to touch on the badger game last night i don't have a lot to say about it I don't know that there's a ton to say. I was reading today Zach Heilprin's write-up at MadCitySportsZone.com. He does a really good job of saying, hey, this was good, this was bad, this stat jumped out. He, he always, with his last word piece at MadCitySportsZone.com, does a really good job. And I always read it because I want to make sure, okay, before I talk about this game, is there something big that I'm missing? Is there some crazy point that I should be making that I'm not? Because with a lot of these Badger games, I'm left walking away thinking, okay, yeah, not, not a huge deal. This isn't a referendum on any specific player, not a referendum on any specific coach. It's just it's a run-of-the-mill Big Ten game. Illinois routinely has beaten the Badgers. The Badgers have not fared well against Kofi Coburn. They didn't fare well against Io DeSumo last year when he was there. It's just It hasn't been a good go against the Fighting Illini the last couple of years. So when they lost last night's game 80-67, to no one was floored. No one was shocked. No one, no one walked away from that game in disbelief, right? Okay, as long as we agree on that, the game was a bummer. It was disappointing. I was hoping the Badgers could at least hold in there, maybe make it a a crazy finish, maybe get lucky at the end, kind of like they did with Purdue, right? Did they really, were they really the better team in Mackey when they played against Purdue and Johnny Davis scored 37? No, probably not. But they hung around and they they got some big buckets and things to go their way in the last minute. I was hoping that maybe the Badgers could turn it into that kind of game. But Illinois was just a little too much to handle on the road. 80-67 was the final score. And if you have thoughts on this game or the Badgers before we get to Andy Herman and the Packers, hit me up. 608-796-2558. You can follow and tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. Johnny didn't shoot well last night. Shot 5 of 19. Well, no one shot well, especially from 3. The team shot 3 of 24. What is that, like 13, 12%? Brad Davison had your classic 0 of 6 night from 3. I was about halfway through the first half. But they were hanging in there okay. It was it was very competitive for the first, you know, 10 minutes. And then Illinois kind of rode this, this not comfortable lead, but, you know, five, six, seven-point lead for a lot of the second half. But they were trading leads in the first half, and I thought, man, this might be a game where Brad Davison needs to hit a couple of threes. Uh, and it was it was not. <laughs> he went 0 of 6, which is, uh, yeah. I'm not saying that's what you come to expect from Brad Davison, but some nights he'll go 6 of 11, and some nights he'll go 0 of 6. Last night was one of the bad nights. It wasn't a great night for Johnny Davis, who was pretty inefficient from the floor, but he got to the free throw line. He got 11 of his points there, 11 of 14 from 
stripe. He had 15 rebounds, a couple of assists. So Johnny Davis, as we've seen all season, finding a way to be productive, even if it's not smooth, even if it's not easy. I think Johnny Davis probably needs to do a little better job realizing when his shot isn't falling and working on getting to the rack a little bit more. And he did that last night pretty well. There's other games where he's throwing up shots. I'm like, man, you're the guy. You're the star. You're the way that this team wins, but you got to you know, take it easy. You know, don't force things any more than you need to force them. Johnny will always have to force things to a degree because it's not like there's another superstar college caliber player on the team. So he needs to force to some degree. I don't know if he always needs to force to the degree that we sometimes see. Last night was, I don't know if it was terrible. It was a very inefficient shooting night. Tyler Wall, I wish, would have been a little bit more aggressive in the second half. Tyler Wall had 12 points in the first half, only two in the second. He only took three shots after halftime. He was finding a way to get his offense in. I was really impressive on a night where you got to deal with Kofi Coburn as an undersized center. Let's go to the phones real quick. Like I said, Andy Herman coming up in a few minutes at 4.30, and we're going to talk Packers. But first, I'd love to hear from you. 608-796-2558. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? This is Matt from Cross Plains. Matt from Cross Plains. Well, it's nice to meet you, Matt. What's going on? You want to talk Badgers, I'm assuming? Oh, of course. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, you know, if they would have just shot normal from three-point land, uh, we would have probably won by two two to four points. You know what's nuts? And, and I know it's easy to say after you lose in basketball, you need to shoot better. But I, I agree with you because yeah. Kofi Coburn had, what, 37 last night? And the Illini only outscored the Badgers in the paint by two. Like, they hung in there or getting tough buckets. The shots just weren't falling from the outside. I, I don't think last night's loss is, is that tough. I don't know if that's that big of a deal. No. No, I'm not too mad about it. I, I wasn't going in hoping too much, except, you know, I want, like I, I tweeted you, I said I wanted uh, Johnny to posterize Kofi Coburn. But, yeah. You know, maybe next time. Dude, maybe in the Big Ten tournament. How about that? Yeah, when it matters. Coburn is terrifying, isn't he? That is a huge, I, I, imagine trying to stand on the block and contest a shot. I feel like he'd throw me out of the way, like a bag of potato chips. Yeah, I don't know who, uh, we need to uh, recruit some, some big dudes, I think. Uh, but yeah, he'll yeah. be gone eventually, so. Yeah, we just, that's that's how it feels, is he's the roadblock with Illinois, and it's been really tough for the Badgers to get by him. Last night didn't change how you felt about Greg Gard, Matthew, because I know, like, a lot of people were hating on Greg Gard. On Twitter last night, I'm like, come on, let's let's take it easy. <laughs> no way, no way. I, I love Greg Gard. Those people are nuts. Yeah, they are nuts. It's like they're always waiting to complain about Greg Gard. All right, Matt, I appreciate the call. It was nice to meet you. Uh, don't be a, don't, don't yeah. be a stranger now. Call back sometime. Yeah, nice talking to you. Have a good day. Yeah, you as well. Nice to chat with you. That's Matt from Cross Plains. And I'm sorry, I called you Matthew. That's how it showed up on caller ID. I I, I address people by their formal God-given names on on this show. Yeah, I don't don't get it. I don't get it with the Badgers. Because I walked away from the game last night. I was like, okay, they shot poorly. Um, Johnny Davis had an inefficient night but still was effective. Right, Like, simple enough game to understand. And then I go on Twitter and people are like, see... Here's the, there's the Greg Gard rearing his ugly head. I was like, what are we really? Why is that on? Why is that on Greg Gard? Greg Gard's a really good coach. I know he's not Bo Ryan, and we want him to be Bo Ryan. But this dude wins games. What are the Badgers? They have four losses this year. Now they're seventeen and four for God's sake. And I'm pretty sure after all four losses, people took to Twitter. They militarized, took to Twitter, and you know lit up the the torches and pitchforks for Greg Gard. I, I don't get it. Like what do you what do you want from Greg Gard? You want him to be Bobby Knight? You want him to be you want him to be Coach Cal? He's he's not. He's Greg Gard. He's really good. I don't understand. They could win twenty in a row, and if they lose that twenty first game, people want Greg Gard fired. I I don't know. I never understood it. I understand he's not Bo Ryan, but 
This Badgers team is is outperforming. They are believing in themselves in a way that's that's almost delusional. This team's delusional. They play and they they feel and they think that they're the best team in the country. And that's what makes them really fun to watch. Last night, just a tough shooting night. Johnny was just a little bit off. If they get, you know, 10 more points from Brad Davison and a little bit better three-point shooting, they could win that game. Sometimes that's how basketball works. It's a, it's a make-or-miss league, the Big Ten. Make-or-miss conference, <laughs> the Big Ten. <laughs> Let's take it easy on Greg Gard a little bit. Let's take a break. Let's talk Packers and Aaron Rodgers with Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast, coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant bills twitter at wisco grant we just talked for a couple of minutes about the badgers basketball game last night they lost to illinois i don't know that there's a ton to say about that game we talked about it for eight minutes if you want to revisit it and you have more to add we'll get back to it in the second half of the show we have plenty of time i just i don't know they lost illinois they had a bad shooting night kofi coburn is he's terrifying like you go in there trying to get a rebound over that dude yeah good luck so more on that game if you'd like to talk about it in the second half of the show Right now, Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast, at Andy Herman NFL. Uh, hey, Andy, I'm terrible at scheduling things with guests because I was procrastinate. I think I texted you and reached out about two weeks ago, hoping that I could chat while the Packers were still alive. It's a bummer they lost, and we have to now talk about the offseason. But I'm still thrilled to have you here. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much for having me. So... Last week, I had a guest on, one of my friends, and we drafted the worst playoff losses of the Rodgers era. There were 10, so we included 2009, even though that's pre-Super Bowl. And my draft board had this year's loss as third, so the third worst, only behind 2014 and the 2020 loss to Tampa. And then we you know, kind of argued and squabbled about the rest. Where would you rank that loss in the division around against the Niners? Like, Where does that stack up in this era of, of Aaron Rodgers Packers football for you? Yeah, in Rodgers' era, I think that sounds right. I think 2014 is still by far the worst. And then I think, you know, this one is within the realm. I think, you know, the, the two Arizona games were, you know, I don't know that either of those teams were, like, set to be Super Bowl champs, especially the, the second one. But the way they lost those games was devastating when, you know, the Rodgers and Warner, when they're going back and forth and just putting on an absolute show. And then you've got, you know, Rodgers misses uncharacteristically on the deep ball to Greg Jennings. And then, of course, the sack fumble returned. That was a brutal way to lose. And then, you know, of course, they hit the Hail Mary to tie the game. Don't go for two, which I think is probably still the right call. And then, you know, the Cardinals get the ball and go right down and score. Uh, I think those are still, like, tough losses. You know, you've got some of those San Francisco games. But I, I think the, the two that stick out as, like, you know, really brutal losses combined with teams that probably had Super Bowl aspirations, legitimate ones in the Rodgers era, uh, would certainly be those two. And unless we're counting the fact that he was on the, you know, NFC Championship game when Favre was starting uh, and they lost to the Giants as Oof. part of that, in which case that one would probably go ahead of the 49ers one as well. Yeah, and I think as the years go along, right, there's there's more pressure. There's more urgency with each of these losses. So I think as, as time passes, we compound how bad these losses are. Like, 2009, was that was heart-wrenching. Like, that sucked. But they were just getting started. So we, we remember yeah. it, I think, a little bit more lightheartedly. So it was really interesting to compare all of these losses. I think, Andy, now that we've seen all of these runs and, and they've gone to NFC Championship games and they've lost in all these different rounds since the Super Bowl – I think for convenience sake, we kind of abbreviate these playoff losses and how we remember them. So, like, if someone brings up 2016, 
right? We always say like, oh, they had no business being there. Ladarius Gunter was their best corner, right? Like that's what comes to mind. Let's say four or five years from now, someone mentions this loss, that loss to the Niners. What will your quick summary be? Like, how will you remember this loss, at least relative to all of these others in the last couple of years? I'm curious. Uh, great question. Before before we get there, I just want to me- go over one other thing you said because it's like, well, Ladarius Gunter's the start. The Bengals don't have an offensive line. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, no, there's there's no team that's perfect, right? Like, and we can take a look at the Rams and the Bengals, and we can point to things that say like, well, they shouldn't be the Super Bowl winner because they've got X player at this position. Like, mm-hmm. the the Packers in 2010, no offense, but started Charlie Pepper at safety and Frank Zombo at outside linebacker, like. You know, the, these teams aren't perfect. This isn't, you know, where everyone has to be an 80, 80 plus, you know, overall rated player on Madden, you know, on, on your entire roster to win a Super Bowl. Like, there are going to be players that are not the, the 1A best player at the position. It doesn't matter. Like, Green, Green Bay, in the, especially in Aaron Rodgers' era, in my opinion, you can make an argument that the 2010 team is the best version of the Packers. Of course, they won the Super Bowl, but I, I probably wouldn't. I don't think that that's the best Packer team that Aaron Rodgers has had. And like I said, they've run some flaws on that team, but they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, so just because you have a Ladarius Gunter or just because you have some struggles on your special teams unit or whatever, like every team has a weakness. It's not so I, I, I always think that's funny. Of like, well, they have Ladarius Gunter. Well, yeah, every team has something that's a flaw and you have to find a way to overcome it. So yeah. That, that was the first thing there, and I've, I've gone on such a tangent now, I forgot your question. Oh, no, 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 how will this no. team be remembered? Can, can, I, can I follow up that part? Because this is actually yeah. something I've talked about. I, I've, I've stated on this show, and it's something that I think about now a lot, because I think as time passes, we look back at all of these playoff failures, and, and we feel smarter, we feel like we have more perspective. I think Packers fans, and this is made evident by how I commented about 2016, we have it in our mind that everything needs to be perfect. If you suffer one injury, you know, you're done. If you have one weak point, you're done. But you mentioned the Bengals. They're not perfect. These other teams aren't perfect. So why is it that other teams have been able to overcome one weakness or, or being down 18 points or, or an injury and the Packers can't? Like, it's, it's made of glass. One thing goes wrong and it all comes crashing down. And, and that doesn't seem to happen to other teams. Yeah, I think to some extent, I, I don't think it's unfair criticism to say that this Packers team, I think especially in the last three years, but overall for a while now, has been a bit of a front-running team. And meaning that when they get ahead, they put a lot of pressure on you. They don't turn the ball over. They don't make mistakes in those situations. It's tough to come back against them. The defense tends to be a little bit better when they're playing with the lead. You've got Aaron Rodgers who's still kind of controlling the tempo with everything. And I think teams start to press as well in those situations against Green Bay when the Packers are winning. So when they get it, you know, out to an early lead and they have those situations, I think it, it, it plays into Green Bay's hands. And I think, again, teams ultimately struggle uh, in those situations. But when it's the other way around, Green Bay has not done a great job of handling adversity in games, specifically in playoff situations and scenarios. I think these last three playoff runs have been very reminiscent of that. I mean, they basically no-showed against the 49ers in the championship game two years ago. You know, last year, Tampa got out to a great start. I thought they put up a pretty decent fight in the second half, but nothing that was ever really close enough to challenge Tampa and the mistakes that Green Bay made in the first half. And they really choked that game away in the first half. And then, you know, this year, they find more spectacular ways to to sort of, you know, kind of blow it. I know they had the lead this time, but wasn't the offense or defense that specifically gave that away. It was entirely the special teams. Now I know the offense not playing up to their standard played a huge part in that, but it's just, I think it's frustrating that they haven't been able to overcome. One of the things I mentioned as well is 
it's it's really important to be a really good regular season team because obviously that sets you up for success. Yeah. Uh, you can have home field advantage and things like that. You can get in the playoffs, all those things. However, the best teams, the teams that win the Super Bowl, are the teams that find a way to evolve when the postseason starts. Mm. To not just be the same good team that they were in the regular season, but to find a way to be better. The Bengals are way better right now than they were in the regular season. Certainly when they played Green Bay earlier this year, they found a way to evolve when the playoffs started. The Rams, same exact thing. They've played their absolute best football since the playoffs started. They found a way to evolve their team and figure out a way to play at a higher level on a higher plane when everything mattered. And that's why those two teams are in the Super Bowl. Green Bay, for the most part, I felt either stayed you know, at the levels they were at. Their defense played great. But overall, that was a team that didn't play even up to their regular season level for the most part, much less find a way to evolve. And that's been the case for three straight postseasons now. So it's not just about getting there. It's not just about being the best team going in. You have to find a way to take it to another level. And Green Bay has simply not done that. Okay, first of all, I love everything you just said, Andy. And I want to I wanna follow up. We're with Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day Podcast, on Twitter, at Andy Herman NFL. I think this is the brilliance and the downfall of Matt LaFleur, right? Because I, I think this is the way I read it. Matt LaFleur got to Green Bay and thought, okay, what's the one thing that I can build around? Okay, my quarterback doesn't turn the ball over, ever. If I if I devise a way of coaching and an offense that maximizes that, we're going to win almost every game that we play. It might not always be pretty, but if we can get out to a lead and I can bake into my coaching that we're not going to turn the ball over, then 90% of these games we can just hold on and win and I think that's the brilliance of Matt LaFleur, but that's also the downfall because when they fall behind or there's a little pressure, th- this team that's designed, I think, to be a front-running team just doesn't hold up. Is that the way you see it? And if so, how can Matt LaFleur tweak that moving forward to be a little bit better in the postseason? Yeah, and it's going to be something that's interesting to see if it's a Matt LaFleur thing over time. I do think it's to some extent an Aaron Rodgers thing. I think, And I, I mentioned this as well a couple times uh, on different shows I've been on, but Listen, Aaron Rodgers' ability to be so risk-averse has served him so well for so long. It's, of course, won him a Super Bowl, four MVPs in all likelihood, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. His touchdown-to-turnover ratio is probably going to go unchallenged for the rest of history. It's incredible. But I do think there comes a time, and I think he at some point may have regrets that in some of these games, instead of trying to maybe take the cautious approach – and instead of maybe trying to be the guy that's not turning the ball over, just go nuclear. You're Aaron freaking Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Just go out and play better than anyone on the field yeah. and win the game for your team. And I think that that's been, especially you know as of late, I, even 2010, right? I think people forget that 2010 was a defensive-led team. Like, yeah. that was a good offense, and they did, it made plays when they needed to. But in my opinion, that was a defensive-led team with Charles Woodson and Clay Matthews and B.J. Raji, Colin Jenkins, Nick Collins, Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, Desmond Bishop. The list goes on. To me, that was a defense-led team. Rodgers wasn't quite yet in his prime. Like, he was just getting there, right? And, like, you know, uh, to me, that if you go back and watch it, they didn't have a running game. Like, their tight end position, you know, Finley went out. They didn't really have much of an answer. Like, that was a more of a defense-led team. Yeah, you know, I just don't think that Aaron Rodgers has ever just put a team completely on his back and said, we're going to win a Super Bowl. Now, I know there's yeah. been moments, right? There's been the, you know, relax and, you know, the the – you know, the, the, when you won all the games in a row and whatever the case was, like there's been moments where he's put the team on his back and got the team there uh, on his own. But I don't think he's done that yet in the playoffs. And I think at some point he's I think he may regret just not saying, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to find a way to, to win no matter what. 
Yeah, well, and I think we we misremembered 2010. I remember Greg Jennings, maybe it was at the end of the Super Bowl or maybe it was the NFC Championship game. I don't remember, but I remember him being on the field. He's being interviewed, and he said, I hate putting our defense in this position every time, right? But they kept coming yeah. through the Tremont Williams pick against Philly or, or the, the eventual stop against Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. It's it's probably good to remind ourselves of that, of, of how that 2010 team was built. One last question for Andy Herman. This is something that, I first started thinking about when watching the Chiefs game, right? And then listening to a couple of Chiefs, I was listening to the PFF forecast with Eric Eager, and he was talking about his Chiefs and how that loss might change things. And we talked about almost the psychological effect on a team that looks like they could be a dynasty, but then never become one. So the Favre Packers, Super Bowl, they lose the next year, brutal loss, they never get back. The Rodgers Packers, much of the same, brutal loss in 2014, never get back. Wilson in Seattle, that traumatic loss in the Super Bowl, they never get back. Now Mahomes in Kansas City, they win the Super Bowl, they get back and they lose it, and then they blow an 18-point lead at home as a touchdown favorite. I, why is it the teams make it look so easy? They win a title, and then they, they scuffle, and they have this traumatic loss, this horrible loss, and some of these teams that we think could become dynasties, they just never recover and they never get back. And we've seen that with Favre now and with Rodgers. Is this something you've thought about since watching the Chiefs on Sunday? Not specifically that, but I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that when you win something and when you become so incredibly good, Mm -hmm. literally the rest of the league is studying you intently. They are watching everything that you do. They are figuring out everything that you do well and making sure that they know how to stop it. And they're taking everything that you did well and finding ways to incorporate it in their offense as well or defense or whatever it is that made you win in their game plan as well. So they're copying things of what you did. They're looking for ways to maybe take what you did and evolve it. And they're making sure that they're hiring coaches and and really changing the game so that whatever you're really good at, they know how to stop that moving forward. It is a copycat league and everyone is so well attuned to exactly what's going on. And now you've got all these different franchises that are so well attuned to your team and figuring out how to beat you and how to take the things that you've done well and incorporate it in their own systems that you lose some of that advantage that you had um, because you, before you were taking teams by surprise with what you were doing. Now, not only are teams prepared for you, but everyone else is running the same stuff. So they're seeing it every single week. And now what you're doing isn't exactly all that special anymore. So I think that certainly plays a part. I think when you're the defending champions, I think teams are definitely playing you at a higher level and making sure that they're bringing their a game every week. I think there's just pressure on the side of trying to repeat and be that good over and over and over again. So I think there's a lot of things that go into that. And I just think it, it goes to show, I mean, the, the Patriots and Brady just broke everyone's mindset, right? Like yeah. what they've done over the course of the last few, you know, however long it's been, two decades, whatever, like that broke everything because it doesn't normally work that way. Your Peyton Mannings, your Drew Breeses, your Aaron Rodgers, your Brett Favre, like go all the other great quarterbacks that have played during this entire stretch of my lifetime. Nobody else has done that because it's really hard to do really really hard to do it's so hard to do and it looks hard like watching the Chiefs now it looks like they're pulling teeth it looks that way with the Packers too and early on in these teams runs it, it just doesn't look that way and it's it's very interesting that you see history sometimes repeat itself we saw it with Rodgers we saw it with Wilson to a degree and now with the the Chiefs and they're struggling and they're blowing big leads it's weird Andy I really really appreciate you this was fun I always feel like I learned something when I talk to you your podcast is great and anytime I can have you on I'm, I'm more than happy to do it thanks Andy Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Grant. Yeah, Andy Herman on Twitter, at Andy Herman NFL. Pack-A-Day podcast content every day, which is what I love. So many podcasters, 
They do two a week. They do three a week. No, Andy's grinding every day because you want content every day. There's always something to talk about, especially with Rogers offseason drama. So go check out his work. It's awesome. He put out like a half hour today on what's going on with Rogers and his thoughts. And I thought it was excellent. And, and I might kind of re reestablish and, and maybe kind of reiterate some of the things I heard on his pod as we get more into Rogers in the second half of the show. Let's take a break. Get an update from the Super Bowl from Mike Clemens, Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. We'll have reports from L.A. every day next week as the Bill Michaels Show broadcasts live from Super Bowl 56. The Rams are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Is Cincinnati a Cinderella story? Bengals safety, Von Bell. Uh, it's a turn of film. Uh, week in and week out. Uh, these guys never stop fighting. Been ups and downs, been bumps and bruises in the road. But we, like I said, we have a resilient group. Man, guys showed up to work. Didn't have no doubt. Just stayed the course, stayed to the plan, sticking to the script, and really leaned on one another. It's a family. We're one-knit group, close-knit group. And uh, we just say, hey, man, we, we all in for the win. Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup and what he's seen on film so far from the Bengals. They've done some really good stuff. As you watch film, obviously some very explosive playmakers on offense. Skill players are uh, phenomenal. Joe Burrow's doing some great stuff here and um, making some huge throws, stepping up in the pocket. I mean, even escaping, you know, being able to use his legs and you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you've got some, some good rushers up front. You know, the, the, some DBs have had some great experience, I think, on the back end there. Uh, I think Cheeto and Eli Apple, both good corners. I think you got Hilton at, at the nickel, very talented team. So I'm looking forward to really being able to dive in and uh, prepare for these guys. And the Packers' David Bakhtiari was on the McAfee Show and asked what it would mean if Aaron Rodgers left Green Bay. I mean, he's pretty much one of my best friends in the, when I play football and also outside. Like, I would love to have him around. It would suck. I'm not seeing him every day. I mean, I've worked with him for about nine years now. I'd love to go on a decade. Can't see him retiring. He's too competitive, even though he does say that, you know, there, there's that possibility. I just, I can't fathom it. But then again, I mean, I don't think we all could have fathomed Tom Brady retiring, and here we are. Best NFL coverage. What a train wreck. I Mike's update was great, by the way. I'm not talking about Mike's update. I play the audio for Mike's update over the same channel that the phone is hooked up to, the same channel that I normally have Spotify open on my desktop. So when I potted Mike up, I got music playing in the background. We got the phone ringing. We're a professional show here. I swear. Might not always sound like it, but we are. Big thanks to Andy Herman, Pack-A-Day podcast. Andy's the best. He's literally always working because he quite literally has a podcast today, Pack-A-Day podcast. So if you were a diehard Packers fan, probably even more so than me, um, and you need content every day, Andy's got you. Follow him on Twitter, at Andy Herman NFL. God, what a mess. I'm playing music. I got the phone ringing. Give me a call or a text, 608-796-2558. Coming up after our update from Zach Heilprin and our little break at 5 o'clock, I want to talk about the Vikings. They got a coach, and we know a little bit more about how the Harbaugh thing unfolded. Um, it doesn't sound like it was contentious or it got ugly. It, it just seemed like... The two sides were coming from different places. Maybe a little bit of a misunderstanding as to what was going on. And then they left the interview saying, okay, yep, it's not going to work. It doesn't make sense for you. doesn't make sense for me. All right. So they didn't end up hiring Harbaugh. They get Kevin O'Connell instead from the Rams. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Mostly I want to talk more about the Packers uh, and some news that came out yesterday about Aaron Rodgers being, quote, open 
to joining the Tennessee Titans. That was the only part of the scoop. He's open to, I mean, I'd be open to joining the Tennessee Titans. I mean, if we're reporting who's open, I'm, I'm open. You can cite me as the source to source me to, to quote JJ Watt. 608-796-2558. John from South of Eau Claire says, loved your interview with Andy. He was very insightful and made a lot of great points. You had a great question that he never got to because he went off on a tangent. That's true. I, but I, I was more interested in what Andy said. I Screw my question. Andy went some more interesting. He says, the question was, what are we going to remember about this Packers loss in a few years? It's obvious special teams or block kicks. Yes, I agree. Um, now, I think we would all agree the special teams were horrendous. Um, I would have liked Rodgers to play better. I think Matt LaFleur could have called a better game. I, a lot of things were maybe more consequential than even the special teams, but that's what's going to stick in our brain. Um, and I'm sure that's probably what Andy would have said. Yeah, I forgot I asked Andy about that. I loved that Andy cut me off and started talking about Ladarius Gunter and said, well, wait a minute. They had a weakness at corner in 16, but the Bengals have weaknesses along the interior offensive line. This team has a weakness here. This team, this team, all of these teams that go on to win Super Bowls have weaknesses. And that echoes what we've been talking about this week, right? It's never going to be perfect. And it seems that Packers fans expect it to be perfect. Well, David Bakhtiari got hurt. Okay. Deal with it. Right? Well, you fell behind 10 points in the first half. Okay. Deal with it. Football's a long game. 60 minutes, four quarters. A lot of time in there to make hay and come back. You know what I mean? And I'm glad that Andy brought that up because I think that echoed something that we'd already covered this week. And I love when I make a point on the show, then I have a guest on and they add something to that point. So, yeah, I got excited when Andy went there and I forgot to to return to that follow-up question. Yeah, I think we'll remember the special teams loss. I think that's a pretty <laughs> that's that's a pretty fair breakdown. John from south of Eau Claire. I agree. It's going to be the special teams. Let's take a break. Coming up next, more Packers. Yes, I want to talk about the Vikings coaching search as well and Aaron Rodgers, Tennessee. What? That's coming up to first an update from Zach Howard.